What's going on guys? Welcome back to the Run Free Podcast. Hope you guys are doing well. Welcome. This is number ep this is number episode. <laughs> Getting off to a fine start here. This is episode number 25. And uh today is the continuation of those 20 nutritional myths of 2020. So we're gonna dig into that here in a second. Before we do though, shameless plug right to start off. So for you guys who aren't familiar with the Run Free Podcast, you know, the whole purpose behind this po- podcast is just diving deep into what's going on in our hearts and our minds and um, what's going on inside of us as we're out running and competing and going through life. So that's really like the focus, but we do kind of step back from that from time to time. Episodes like today where we get into nutrition, we get into training every once in a while and stuff. But the main, you know, the target is to address this, you know, one of our fingers of uh, Run Free training is... Uh, the internal game so this is where we go after that internal game and it's really important for us you know run free training like obviously it's a business and we're obviously trying to help people and form a community and we want to be coaching runners and um, helping people you know achieve their dreams and goals in the running space but also it's really important for us to just like i don't know just encourage people and so as we wanted to make some of our content free kind of goes along with our name run free training so this is a portion of our free training but if you guys are interested in the complete package and guys like we've talked about before on this podcast if you're not addressing your nutrition and your sleep and weights in the one percent category we call it with weights and self-massage and all that kind of stuff um what's the other component the rest sleep nutrition training one percent if you're not addressing all that stuff the internal game obviously with this um if you're not addressing all that stuff there's more there you know there's more there and i've always said running is not a hobby it's a lifestyle so like the way to maximize your potential in running is to address each one of these categories so that's kind of what makes us a little bit different and the way we train our athletes is we're, we're looking to train the whole athlete and so we're you know hitting on everything from nutrition um, to weights core um, all that stuff so if you're anyways if you're interested in training uh, we do have some openings so uh, you can check us out runfreetraining.com so quick little plug on that before we dig into this so today i think i'm gonna read quite a bit today so if that was not fun for you last time my apologies not like the greatest reader in the world actually so my book uh around the mile you're in that came out this last april they asked me if i wanted to do the audio version and i just knew i was like this is gonna take like a year for me to record this because i'm just gonna be stumbling over my words and uh so i i politely declined i was like i think i'm gonna leave that to the pros so right off the bat sorry i'm not a professional audio reader so this might not be super clean on delivery but just bear with me we're real here at run free we we like to be ourselves. i don't edit this podcast because that's life life is not edited right you can't edit life so anyways let's uh jump in where we left off we're on myth number 13 i like this one uh myth number 13 is that you should eat quote unquote clean so is that confusing to anyone else like i know we throw that word around a lot right like you should eat clean so after i read this i want to tell you guys a little bit about my experience with eating clean and um, how sometimes you shouldn't eat clean but first let's see what uh, examine.com is where i pulled all these this article from this article we're going through if you guys missed the last episode i kind of talked a little bit about um, how much i love examine.com and again no affiliation i'm not getting paid by them to tell you guys how much i love them but i just genuinely use their website all the time because there's so much um, stuff to wade through with supplements right and like usually 
companies who are telling you or people who are telling you how great a supplement is, they're usually selling the supplement as well. So it gets a little bit confusing. So that's why I love examine.com because they're impartially looking at supplements and telling you the level of effectiveness of pretty much every supplement I've ever plugged into their website. So you can check them out, examine.com. You can find this article on there. And like I said in the previous episode, I'm not going to dig deep into like the studies and stuff like that because I just don't want to go that deep. And if you, I would love though, you can go to their website, check it out. You can click on all the studies and stuff that's supporting what they're saying. So they do have like solid evidence. I mean, that's all they do is look at evidence to um, come up with articles like this and give us some nice information to work through. So anyways, myth number 13, you should eat clean, quote unquote clean. So this statement is not so much a myth as a jumble of misconceptions. First of all, people seldom agree on what eating clean actually means. How true is that, right? For some, it means shunning specific foods for religious or ethical reasons, animal products, for instance. For others, it means eating only fresh, raw, natural, organic foods. For others, still means making their fruits and veggies are free of pesticides, making sure their fruits and veggies are free of pesticides. One common point of clean diet is that they're focused on exclusion. They tell you what clean eating is by telling you what not to, what not to eat. I love that because I've always been a big fan of telling you what you should do, you know, focusing on what you do get, not focusing on what you don't get. I think that's really helpful when it comes to nutrition is like focusing on what you want, not on what you don't want. All right. So next little section here, uh, people who define clean eating as only plant-based foods. And before I get into this, I know a lot of our listeners are plant-based people and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I love people. We have a lot of our athletes are plant-based athletes. I think you can do, you can accomplish your goals on a plant-based diet. So if that's you, like, don't get offended with this. This is just their take on plant-based diets. So veganism can be considered a prototypical clean diet as it shuns all animal products, both for ethical reasons and for better health. But although vegans and vegetarians do trend to be healthier on average, which I think is totally true if you observe the general public, um, this may be due to reasons unrelated to food. For instance, people who stick to a vegetarian diet are more likely to stick to exercise regimen and uh, neither drink in excess nor smoke. So I think that's super true, right? Like a lot of people who have plant-based diets, vegetarians, like they're just, they're healthier individuals in general. So it gets a little bit shady when you compare like someone who's already healthy and living healthy lifestyle and then they, they're on this diet. You can't necessarily isolate it and say they're healthier people because of the diet because they're kind of already more active healthier people to start with. So it gets really tricky kind of comparing the two, I think is kind of what they're saying here. So they go on to say, as it stands compared to people eating a varied omnivorous diet, vegans and to a lesser extent vegetarians are more likely to get suboptimal amounts of some nutrients such as L-carnitine or vitamin B12. However, those nutrients can easily be supplemented. Nowadays, there are even plant-based options for EPA, DHA, and vitamin D3. So I think that's a really just important thing for all of our plant-based eaters to just be aware that you could be lacking in L-carnitine, B12, um, and so you you should look into supplementing. And that's usually what we recommend with our plant-based diet athletes as well. So there's something to be aware of there. Uh, all right, so then the category of only raw food um, clean eaters. Some clean eating gurus recommend that you only eat your raw food so as not to denature its nutrients. 
as in absolute, this rule is a myth. Raw milk can contain harmful bacteria. Raw eggs contain avidin. I have no idea what that is. A protein that can, oh, well, they're going to tell us. <laughs> a protein that can uh, bind biotin and thus lead to biotin deficiency is consumed frequently. And you'll digest more protein from cooked than raw eggs. That's a little gem right there. Really interesting. Not that any of us are pounding a bunch of raw eggs, but Rocky, listen up. You need to cook those eggs. <laughs> um, but actually, eggs are an excellent source of protein that's really easily digested. So if you're looking for like easy to digest protein source, eggs is a great choice. But don't eat them raw. Cook them first. Uh, cooking can reduce the nitrate content of vegetables, bad, but also their oxalate content, good. You can't generalize. So basically they're saying like sometimes you're actually messing food. It's easier to digest food that's cooked. And this is something that I got uh, recommended to me with our nutritionist that we were working with at Stanford is, uh, actually no, this was the next nutritionist I worked with as I was a pro runner, is he was recommending that you do gotta factor into your energy expenditure into cooking vegetables. Like it's easier for your body to digest vegetables when they're lightly cooked or cooked than it is for them, for your body. It takes more work for your body to digest it if it's raw. So just be something, something to be aware of, you know, like don't feel like you got to eat all your vegetables raw. If you do eat raw, um, you know, this is just saying that there are some foods that it's better off to cook it than to not cook it. But I, I'm sure that you can you know, find ways around it, but just stuff to be aware of. All right, so uh, other category of clean eating, only organic food. So the saying organic is better. This is presented as self-evident. And by the way, like this is something I buy into. Like we pretty much, Sarah's had to work hard on me over the years. Cause I'm like, I'm like blue collar, like shop at Safeway, like, you know, like find the deals. And uh, Sarah's always been on me for trying to uh, get me buying organic stuff, spending that extra dollar or two for that spinach pack. And it's like, ah, I can get it for a dollar cheaper, but organic. All right. So anyways, they're going to address that here. All right. So organic is better. This is presented as self-evident on the principle that natural is good, whereas synthetic is bad. So far, however, what few studies have investigated the effects of organic food on clinical health outcomes have failed to consequently or sorry consistently link organic foods from plants or animals to better health so they're basically saying like there's pretty limited studies on it but the studies that have shown up show, studies that have come out aren't exactly showing that organic is uh, related to better health so it doesn't mean that organic foods and better health aren't definitely are definitely not linked but the issue is complex and in some cases you'll be trading one health risk for another for instance, a 2018 test of protein powders revealed that the organic ones had about half the amount of BPA, an industrial chemical, but twice the amount of heavy metals. So it's kind of like you're doing better on the BPA, but you're getting a lot more heavy metals is what they're saying. One misconception is that no synthetic substance can be issued or used to grow organic crops, whereas the national list of allowed and prohibited substances make some exceptions. Another misconception is that no pesticide can be used to grow organic crops. But while organic produce, notably fruit, less often has synthetic pesticides residues than do conventional produce, natural uh, organic pesticides exist. So just because it's organic doesn't mean it's not getting sprayed with or quote unquote organic pesticides. 
Um, they're used to grow organic crops and are not always better for the consumer or the environment. So take that for what's worth, just something to be aware of that uh, just because it's organic doesn't mean it's not getting sprayed by something that's potentially um, you know, not good for you or the environment. Okay, so last category of the clean eaters, only pesticide-free produce. Pesticide residues in food are a valid concern, though it should be noted that the pesticide data program of the United States Department of Agriculture has consistently found that the vast majority of the food on the market contains either no detectable residues or residues below the tolerable limit set by the Environmental Protection Agency. When found, pesticides residues were similarly low in organic and conventional produce, but there is some evidence that even very low doses of pesticides might still elicit physiological effects. These effects, uh, be, be they beneficial, neutral, or harmful, and be they from organic or conventional pesticides, are not well studied. So what is a consumer to do? The practical solution is quite simple. Rinsing, peeling when possible, and cooking can reduce the amount of pesticides left on your produce, whether this produce is organic or not. So there you guys have it. Basically, like just make sure you're washing your produce before you're eating them, especially if you're eating them raw. Better yet, cook it a little bit, um, peeling, all ways to kind of get that pesticide off of what you're eating. So the truth that they come to, clean eating is tough to define as gurus don't even agree on what foods are clean and which are not. Stick to the basics, favor whole foods, but don't feel like any small amount of processed foods will kill you. Eat organic if you wish to and can afford it and peel or wash all your vegetables and fruits. So hopefully that's helpful for you guys, you know, no matter where you fall in there, hopefully you can take some nuggets from that one. All right, so myth number 14, this is a good one. Hear people talking about detoxing a lot. So this myth is you should detox regularly. So they're going to get into kind of studies and research on detoxing and whether it's beneficial or not. All right, so here we go. Detox diets are the ultimate manifestation of the clean eating obsession. Such diets commonly limit foods to plant-based juices, sometimes seasoned with a supplement. After a few days of that regimen, you're supposed to be cleansed of dot, dot, dot. Well, detox diet companies don't really know. A 2009 investigation of 10 companies found that they couldn't name a single toxin eliminated by any of their 15 products, let alone prove that their products worked. So that's kind of crazy, right? They couldn't even tell you what you're getting detox from. <laughs> um, so they go on to say, strictly speaking, toxins are plant or animal-based substances poisonous to humans, but for many detox gurus, toxins also include heavy metals and everything synthetic, not just toxins man-made poisons such as pollutants or pesticides, but also preservatives, high fructose corn syrup, etc. Alas, even when a substance really is uh, a detox really is noxious, a detox diet won't help. Acute toxi toxicity would likely constitute a medical emergency, whereas chronic toxicity can be handled better by a well-fed body. I think that's super important right there. Um, you know, coming from me who I'm pretty familiar with draining my body of its nutrients and getting down to like unhealthy weights and stuff like that. And they're actually saying like, you can actually better handle the toxins of your body by being well fed. So no one, we, 
Uh, not one weakened by a severely hypocaloric diet. Your liver, kidneys, lungs, and other organs work around the clock to remove harmful substances and excrete the waste products of the metabolism. By reducing your intake of the nutrients they need to perform these functions a detox diet can hinder your body's natural detoxification process so that's kind of crazy you can actually make it harder for your body to detox by going on these detox diets uh, if you wish to promote this process your best bet is to load up with various foods that can help these organs work optimally such as uh, uh, vegetables and fibrous veggies detox diets are not necessarily safe either every now and then a case reports emerges about potential risks such as kidney damage and from green smoothies or liver failure from detox teas but if a detox diets are more likely to harm than help what explains the current popularity one answer is quick weight loss deprive your body from carbs and you can exhaust its glycogen stores in as little as 24 hours the resulting loss of several pounds can convince you that the diet has positive effects when the diet ends and you resume your regular eating habits however the glycogen and associated water come rushing back in and with them the pounds you shed so we talked about that before on this podcast stuff when i've talked about losing weight right like when you go on those low carb diets and detox like this um you're gonna shed a whole bunch of water weight because you're glucose depleted and then as soon as you're taking the carbs back on you're going to put back on i mean it varies based on your size but you know it can be one pound it could be five pounds so um kind of don't be led astray if you are doing a detox diet and you do lean out don't freak out when you start eating carbs again that your weight goes back up all right so when people feel better from a detox diet it's just a is it just a placebo effect not always people on a detox diet might eat fewer calories yet more fruits and veggies thus more micronutrients they may also stop consuming foods that don't agree with them in other words detox diets work as de facto elimination diets so they're basically saying like detox diets um just keep you from eating foods that are bad for you and so you feel better as a result so um doesn't necessarily mean you gotta you know live on celery juice for a week um so the truth that they kind of come up with, focus on sustainable health habits such as eating nutritious foods, ample protein, leafy greens, and, food, and foods chock full of vitamins and minerals are not just tastier than anything, are, are not just tastier than anything a detox diet has to offer. They're also way better for you and your liver detoxification pathways, ironically. A detox diet might make you feel better, but that's usually because of the increased whole food intake, not because of any form of detoxification is taking place. So again, feel free to disagree with stuff in there, guys. Maybe you've done detox diet and you're like, I loved it and I'm always gonna do it. Like like I've always said, you know, if stuff works for you and you feel better on it, even you know if these guys are like you shouldn't do it um you're making it hard like stick with what works for you so you know don't freak out if i read some stuff here that you don't necessarily agree with and i don't even necessarily agree with all you know all their take on all this stuff so um just let's let's just look at this as interesting uh read interesting data that we're looking at here all right so uh, myth number 15 eating often will boost your metabolism so this is one that kind of makes me cringe a little bit i'm like i'm like a big like eat every three hours eat lots of small meals guy so let's see what they have to say about that uh it's easy to trace this myth back to its origin digestion does raise your metabolism a little 
So many people believe that eating less food more often keeps your metabolism elevated. However, the size of the meal matters too. Fewer but larger meals mean fewer but larger spikes in metabolism. Moreover, some studies suggest that having a smaller meal more often makes it harder to feel full, potentially leading to increased food intake. More to the point of the evidence shows that given an equal amount of daily calories, the number of meals makes no difference in fat loss. So the truth they kind of come up with there, digestion does slightly increase your metabolic rate, but the meal's frequency will have less effect on your weight than their total caloric content at the end of the day. So um, again, I think this is one of those ones where we have to think, well, like what is ideal for training and for running? Because they're kind of looking at this from a, a weight loss perspective, right? And so I think they're probably right. Like at the end of the day, what matters the most if you're trying to lose weight is how many calories did you consume? How many calories did you burn? Like that's going to decide whether you're losing weight or not. Um, but I do think from a runner's perspective, you do want kind of more energy coming in. And you talk about recovering too from your workouts, from your running, from your weightlifting, all that stuff. I do think the body, and I think this because this is what I've been told through nutrition and also because this is what I've experienced, that I recover better when I'm taking in food more often. And I feel more satiated throughout the day. I know they mentioned you know, eating these little tiny meals can like make you feel like you're never full. And then you just like go ham at dinner time because you're like, I've been eating like a bird all day long and I just want something to fill my belly. But, you know, as I talked about in the um, How to Lean Out podcast that I did, you can find foods that are really satiating, that are really high volume, that weigh a lot of water weight, that do make you feel full, that aren't a bunch of calories, that do kind of fit into that small meal category. So I would argue that eating more meals throughout the day is the best thing for runners to do. But if that's not you, I think this kind of gives you some freedom here to be like, okay, like don't freak out if you didn't eat six meals today or six, you know, three meals and three small snacks. Like it's not the end of the world. What matters the most at the end of the day is total calories, your total breakdown of macros, percentage of carbohydrate, protein, and fat. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's helpful in kind of wading through that metabolism issue and eating small small meals all right so myth number 16 and this kind of builds off that last one you shouldn't skip breakfast uh, breakfast is the most important meal of the day is something we have all heard from parents doctors health bloggers ad companies but the health perks of consuming a regular breakfast have been overhyped people on hashtag team breakfast mention observational observational study showing that on average breakfast skippers have a higher BMI. However, clinical trials have shown that personal preference is a critical factor. Some people will subconsciously compensate for all the calories they skipped at breakfast, while others won't feel cravings at the same magnitude. In one trial, women who didn't habitually eat breakfast were made to consume uh, who were made to consume it, they gained nearly 2 pounds over 4 weeks. Individual responses do vary so don't try to force yourself into eating pattern that doesn't sit well with you and that you can't sustain it may end up backfiring another popular claim is that skipping breakfast can crash your metabolism but studies in both lean and overweight individuals have shown that skipping breakfast does not inherently slow your met your med resting metabolic rate all right so basically well, I'll read their truth here. However, the don't skip breakfast mantra might hold true for people uh, with impaired glucose regulation. So again, like if you have like a medical condition, 
such as impaired glucose regulation, you should have breakfast. So the truth, uh, you don't need to eat breakfast to be healthy or lose weight. You should be, uh, base your breakfast consumption on your preferences and personal goals. Feel free to experiment to see what you want to make skipping breakfast, to see if you want to make skipping breakfast a habit. So uh, again, I think my take on skipping breakfast is it depends, like and specifically for runners, it depends what your schedule is like. So for example, when we trained in Kenya, oftentimes like we'd be going over to uh, local athletes' homes for dinners and they always ate like super late at night and they always ate huge meals like for dinner time. So then if that's the case, I'd always wake up in the morning and usually I'm a breakfast guy. Like I wake up hungry, excited for breakfast, always have breakfast, never skip it. But when we're in Kenya and we're eating these late night dinners, which I usually don't do, I'm usually like an early dinner guy and a little snack before bed guy. Um, but in Kenya, we'd wake up in the morning and they train super early in the morning. So we'd get up, you know, five, five thirty in the morning to train. I think they start training at like 6 a.m. And you feel full and you don't feel like eating and you don't have a lot of digestion time. So you just kind of like do what they do over there, which is they don't take in a whole bunch of calories. Now in Ethiopia, it's a little bit different. They have this, I think it's called Beso, uh, this drink, this carbohydrate drink that they drink uh, in the mornings when they get up. So, you know, everyone's a little bit different how they approach it. But I think at the end of the day, it's like just listen to your body. If you're not hungry, don't feel the pressure to eat. And if you, especially if you train super early in the morning, with that said, if you are trained for a marathon, if you are doing workouts, like I would definitely encourage you to try to eat before those long sustained efforts. Um, and if you don't eat, then I think you need to take in more calories during those long runs, during those long hard thresholds. Um, Cause that's the name of the game in the marathon, right? Is like your fueling is just critically, critically important. So that's kind of my take on the breakfast situation. And also too, like if you're afraid to eat breakfast, cause you're like, man, my stomach just gets messed up. As I mentioned before on the podcast, when I've talked about nutrition, like drink your calories. Uh, it can be juice, it can be milk, it can be um, shakes that I used to make with, uh, I use cytocarbs like maltodextrin and I would mix that with some uh, protein powder and mix that up and shoot it down. Never had a stomach issue with that protocol. So there are things you can find that you can drink that should sit well with your stomach. So if you are wanting to experiment with putting down calories before those early morning runs, I would uh, suggest you start with drinkable calories. All right. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, myth 17, to lose fat, don't eat before bed. So uh, this is a good one for me because I'm a big eat before bed kind of guy. Uh, I don't remember the last time I went to bed without eating. <laughs> that makes me feel really like a high maintenance or something. But anyways, all right, let's see what they have to say. Some studies show a fat loss advantage to early eaters over late eaters overall early eaters seem to have a slight advantage nothing impressive so based on the studies they're seeing that you have a little advantage if you eat early but nothing like remarkable trials however imperfectly reflect real life in real life there are two main reasons why eating at night might hinder fat loss and both are linked to an increase in your daily caloric intake the first reason is the simplest if instead of going directly to bed, we first indulge in a snack, then the calories from that snack are calories we might have gone without. The second reason is that when we get tired, we tend to eat to keep going with a, uh, 
with taking in a snack, foods, or tasty treats. So if we stay awake at night, especially to work or study, but even just to watch TV, we're more likely to eat out of, not out of hunger, but out of fighting sleepiness. That's pretty good. You know, I feel like I can definitely relate to that. Like when you're driving, for example, late at night, like you're not hungry, but you feel like you just need to eat something to like give your body some energy when really like you should just be going to bed. So anyways, the truth of what they're saying on that one, eating late won't make you gain weight unless it drives you to eat more. Resisting tasty high caloric snacks can be harder after a long day. So everyone knows like, right, like, at the end of the day is the hardest time to stay on your diet when you're tired. So oftentimes it'd be better to just go to sleep. But with that said, let's look at this from a runner's perspective. And I've always said and always practiced uh, with my own you know, fitness, whether it be running or lifting, how important it is to give your body the nutrients it needs to repair itself overnight. Like we have such a big emphasis uh, run free on sleep and how important that is and rest. Cause I've always said sleeping is the most performance enhancing thing you can do. And so trying to sleep as much as you can, but not only that, trying to give your body the building blocks it needs to repair itself while it sleeps. So that's why I try to always take in, I try my best. I don't always do this, but taking in a slow burning protein, a slow burning carb. So you're basically giving your body nutrients and it's like, being slowly released into your system and your system's able to repair itself, whether you know it's muscularly, hormonally, et cetera, during the sleeping hours when your body is working really hard to recover from the, the stress of the day, whether it's from work or from physical activity. So as an athlete, I think it's really important that we do eat before sleep, but like these guys are saying, like you gotta be really careful and make sure you're eating the right foods and make sure that you're also taking that into account when you're, going throughout your day and you're eating and like remember like okay I am eat something before bed so maybe I don't need to have a gigantic dinner um, because I know I'm gonna get another snack here right before bed and I don't want to be full and then force myself to eat and then put on a bunch of weight because I'm eating way more calories than I need so just keep that in mind as, as you think about whether or not to have that snack before bed all right uh, myth number 18 to lose fat do cardio on an empty stomach so i've played with this one a little bit so i'm curious to see what they say here i already know what they're gonna say but you know what i mean <laughs> all right let's get one thing out of the way if you exercise near maximal capacity uh, like hit training sprints heavy lifting eat one or two hours before or you're likely to underperform so again it's kind of like what i'm saying with hard like interval workouts uh hard long runs hard uh, tempos, thresholds, and stuff like that. Like if you don't eat before, you're likely gonna underperform. I totally agree with what they're saying there. Most people who choose to exercise on empty stomach, however, opt for some moderate form of cardio, aerobic exercise, such as jogging, so like easy running. And then performance and energy expenditure are about the same in the fed state and the fasted state. If you exercise in the fasted state, you'll burn more body fat, of course but that won't make it easier for you to use body fat as a fuel during the rest of the day when you're fed. You'll also burn a tiny bit more muscle, but you'll grow it back faster afterward too. It seems to balance out as long as you get enough protein after your workout and over the whole day. Finally, cardio suppresses appetite uh, less in the fasted state than in the fed state, but after that doesn't translate into sufficient difference difference in daily caloric intake 
People with impaired glucose regulation may wish to avoid exercising on an empty stomach and might want to avoid skipping breakfast even when they don't exercise. So the truth they're saying is there is very little difference between cardio in the fed or fasted state with regard to fat loss, muscle preservation, daily caloric intake, or metabolic rate. What really matters then is you. Some people feel lighter and energized when they do cardio on empty stomach, while others feel lightheaded and sluggish. Fed or fasted state, pick whichever makes you feel better. So hopefully that's um, helpful for you guys. Like, you know, don't force yourself to do fasted cardio. If you're trying to lose weight, don't be like, I can't eat, I gotta go run. Um, Because like they're saying here is it doesn't actually make a big difference um, just as long as your daily caloric intake is the same throughout the day you know if you're on a weight loss diet you're you're uh in a caloric deficit at the end of the day is kind of what's most important but like you're saying some people do feel good on fasted diets and i've played with that a little bit um when i was trying to lose weight uh it was like a year ago i was trying to lean out a little bit i was doing some fasted runs and stuff and i did feel like it did help uh, me lose some weight but again it's kind of kind of hard to tell because I probably would have been losing weight anyways because in a caloric deficit. All right, almost through this, guys. Myth number 19, you need protein right after your workout. Oh, this one's going to like stab me deep in the heart. I don't like it when they try and take away my post-workout protein, but I can see where they're going with this one. All right, let's see what they say. When you exercise, you damage your muscle, which your body then needs to repair, often making them more resilient, bigger in the process. The raw material for this repair is protein you ingest. And yes, after exercising, your muscles are more sensitive to the anabolic effect of protein, thus creating a still controversial window of opportunity, the anabolic window. You need protein right after your workout may not be a myth so much as an exaggeration. What matters most is your daily protein intake. But yes, ideally you want a post-workout dose of protein in the range of your desirable minimum. Protein intake per meal of 0.24 to 0.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. Uh, If you have been exercising on empty stomach, you'll be in a negative protein balance, so take this dose as soon as possible. Otherwise, try to take it within the next couple of hours. The exact size of your anabolic window depends on how much protein you're still digesting. So the truth they're saying on that one, unless you've been exercising on empty stomach, you don't need protein immediately after your workout, but you might benefit from 0.24 to 0.6 grams per kilogram body weight within the next couple of hours. What matters most, however, is how much protein you get over the course of your day. This one's interesting to me because I feel like protein, and I've said this a lot, is one of those things where uh, your body doesn't store protein. So I've always recommended and had recommended to me by all my nutritionists to um, be taking in protein constantly throughout the day, like every three hours trying to get in 20 to 30 grams. And that was when in my running days, like now I take in 50 grams every three hours because your body doesn't store protein. But you know what these guys are saying, they're saying it doesn't really matter. Like you could essentially take in all your protein at the end of the day. And just as long as you end the day um, with enough protein, you're going to see growth from that. So I don't know. I kind of disagree with them on this one. I feel like I've experienced that it's worked really well for me to be taking in protein every three hours. But that's just me, and that's just based on you know the nutritionist I've worked with and my real world experience with it. But maybe that you know frees you up to just be like, okay, if I didn't get my protein shake in right after my workout, right after my run, it's not the end of the world. You know, like don't 
don't stress about it. I think that's really important when it comes to nutrition is just like, and hopefully, you know, going through all this stuff is just help you like de-stress about things and be like, okay, I don't need to like freak out if I don't do things perfectly. Like I just need to do the best I can and, and more than anything, like live and function in a stress-free state. Like that's going to help your performance way more than being super anal and like getting every gram of protein perfectly um, into your diet at the perfect time. Like and that's, I think, goes right in line with what run free training and run free this podcast is all about. It's about freedom, right? It's about like going through your life with like life and with lightness and with being able to joke and not take yourself so seriously and actually enjoying what you're doing, going after your goals and have it be something that doesn't stress you out. It actually like gives life to you. And I think being able to relax with your nutrition a little bit is, is a good way to experience that. All right, last one, guys. I don't know if you guys can find this one interesting. This is kind of a meat-heady kind of one, but I'll find it interesting, so we're going to do it. All right, so myth number 20, creatine will increase your testosterone, but cause, but cause, okay, let me just start over. Creatine will increase your testosterone, but cause hair loss and kidney damage. So that's the the myth is on creatine intake. And someone was asking me recently if uh, creatine is good for runners or not. Do know of like one professional runner that used to take creatine, but I'm gonna leave his name out of the podcast. But you know who I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> his wife actually listens to this podcast, but that's not gonna help you figure it out. But anyways, I he's the only professional runner I've ever heard of taking creatine. So I don't I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know if it's actually helpful for for distance running, but I think it's definitely been proven to be helpful for putting on muscle. So maybe you're a, you're a guy distance runner and you don't want to look like a professional distance runner and some creatine can kind of help you achieve that. So anyways, here we go. Let's get into this last one. We'll try and make it snappy as I know you guys might not all be feeling this part of it. All right. So no, unlikely and no. Being one of the most widely used supplements, creatine has been subject to a whole host of uh, claims. Let's tackle these common ones testosterone increases creatine helps you exercise harder by making it easier for your cells to regenerate atp a source of energy so that's kind of interesting that is relevant to running um to this day there's no strong evidence that creatine can raise testosterone levels Three randomized control trials totaling 60 male participants reported small yet statistically significant increases in either testosterone or DHT from doses ranging from 5 to 25 grams of supplemental creatine. However, 10 other RCTs totaling 218 male participants reported no effect on testosterone from doses ranging from 3 to 25 grams. People wishing to optimize their testosterone levels should focus on better proven options. Suboptimal levels of sleep, exercise, calories, vitamin D, magnesium, and zinc can decrease testosterone production. And I think that last part is a little gem there. Um, For guys, it doesn't matter what your goals are. You're going to run better if your testosterone levels are higher. That's why people who dope take testosterone. So... um, Really, if you're looking to optimize your testosterone levels and you're looking to go about it the 100% natural way, focus on sleep, exercise, making sure you're getting in enough calories, 
which is why I'd always like cycle um, my diets when I was running professionally, why I'd always put on weight in the off season was to get hormonally back in a good spot because I was not in a good hormonal spot when I was at my leanest and getting ready for marathons. Uh, your vitamin D, your magnesium, and zinc. So ZMA can be something you look at that has zinc, magnesium. Um, just make sure those levels are good, and that's a good place. Like start with that, and then if your testosterone is still low, then you can kind of further dig into that issue and get further and dive into that further. Testosterone is kind of a tough one, guys, because I don't know. I've I've played a lot with these things, and I've just always had like fairly low testosterone, really low testosterone when I was running professionally. But um, even now, being in a better place hormonally, still like have rather low levels of testosterone so um i feel like testosterone is just one of those things it's kind of hard to to increase it <laughs> but doesn't mean it can't be done you can further look into that uh, if you're interested all right so uh let's just skip to the truth because i don't basically they're saying it doesn't cause hair loss and it doesn't cause kidney damage but let's read the truth here to end it out so out of all the supplements out there, creatine is the one of the most extensively researched. The vast majority of the evidence indicates that this supplement is safe for long-term use and is unlikely to harm your kidneys, cause hair loss, or increase your testosterone. So there you have it. Girl distance runners want to take uh, creatine. They don't have to worry about their testosterone going through the roof. So <laughs> hope this has been helpful, guys. Um, it's kind of fun to... I don't know, just read some stuff that I talked about in the first podcast that kind of challenges you a little bit. And um, like I said, really, I just hope this, this, these last couple episodes help kind of free you up and uh, inform you a little bit about a lot of those myths that are out there in relation to nutrition. So next time we're going to get back on the Making of Olympian series. Just have a couple episodes left I want to do. I actually might combine the next two. I'm going to see how much content I kind of come up with as I plan those out. But uh, I want to do one on how Olympians train and then one on how Olympians eat. And then I think that will – oh, and then childlikeness. I definitely – that's a huge one that I want to end with. So – Look forward to uh, recording those podcasts for you guys, getting them your way in the coming weeks. Until then, guys, happy training. Stay warm out there. And uh, until next time, signing out.